Okay, thank you very much, worship team. Thank you, Dan. If you would turn to Daniel chapter 10. As Dan mentioned, that's where we'll be this morning as we seek to listen to what the Lord has to say to us. From Daniel chapter 10. Obviously, the Bible in various ways calls us basically to trust God and to love people. And so we want to pray that God would help us to do just that better, more, in light of what we find in this scripture. So let me read for us Daniel chapter 10, and we'll look at what the Lord has to say to us this morning. In the first verse, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, excuse me, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the message was true and one of great conflict. But he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month, While I was by the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, his face had the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. Yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words... I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to you excuse me, come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and said to him who was standing before me, O my Lord, as as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? As for me, there remains just now no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then this one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Father, we do pray that you would 
Give us understanding of your word. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and that we would be appropriately impacted by what your word says and that you'd meet the deepest needs of our heart for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you pray? Well, obviously, in our prayer time, Dan encouraged us to think about our prayer lives and why we pray or why we don't pray. And this chapter is one of those chapters where I begin my week wondering what I'm going to preach on because it doesn't automatically stand out to me many times what it is I should preach on in light of a particular chapter. And so the thing that stood out to me this week, and I believe the Lord has led us to talk about, is prayer in light of what's going on here in this chapter. Now, this chapter really is part of a larger vision, which is chapters 10, 11, and 12. And we'll get to that part of it. What the angel actually tells Daniel is found in chapters 11 and 12. This chapter just focuses on how Daniel was impacted by the vision, the initial vision that he saw and his interaction with the angel. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the idea of when God answers your prayers and my prayers, what kind of work is he going to do? What is going to be the result of God answering our prayers? And I want us to think about it in light of what Daniel experienced, because Daniel prays, and then everything that takes place in this chapter is in response to his prayer. And so the first verses, verse nine, first nine verses, are basically about a great vision um, that Daniel has of a messenger from God. Um, years ago, uh, my dad was in the hospital, and I went to see my dad, and I've told this story before, I believe, but he wasn't doing very well, and occasionally he would ask me to pray for him. And so in this uh, instance, he asked me again to pray for him, and I, I remember praying for him as best I knew how to pray in light of all that was going on. And at the end, he looked at me and simply said, well, that didn't do any good. And I've thought about that often, uh, about the fact that that's not an uncommon response for any of us. We can get down on our knees and pray. We can get up from our knees and think, well, I'm not sure that did any good. Or we might pray and wait a few days, and then we might think, well, I'm not sure that did any good. Or we might pray and, and wait years and think, well, I'm not sure that did any good. Regardless of the time frame, we can be tempted to think, well, that didn't do any good. Well, Daniel prays for three weeks. He fasts and prays for three weeks. Now, his fasting wasn't an absolute fast. He fasted certain things. He fasted, um, you know, the, the better things, I guess you could say, that he might eat. And just had a very minimal diet for three weeks. And he focused on praying. And the question is, what was he praying about? Well, we don't know because it doesn't tell us exactly what he prayed, but the implication is, in light of what God told him, is that he was concerned about what was happening to the children of Israel in Israel after the exile. You notice it starts off in verse 1 by saying, in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. If you go to chapters like Ezra chapter 1, you find out in the first year of Cyrus, Cyrus made an edict saying that the Israelites in all of his realm could go back home. They could go back to Jerusalem and they uh, could rebuild their temple. Well, a few years after that, another king uh, forbid them from actually rebuilding the temple. There was a stoppage to the work. And it appears that Daniel is praying in light of the fact that he's heard that the king has shut down a new king, Artaxerxes, has, in a sense, uh, trumped um, Cyrus's edict and said, no, the work must stop on rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And so the question in Daniel's mind was probably something like, God, what's going on? You move the king, Cyrus, to do this uh, 
this work, and yet it's not happening. It's being opposed in various ways. And so uh, the question is, what's going to happen? What is going to happen to the Israelites if things are being opposed like they are? And so he's wondering what's going on, and there's an appearance of, it says, a certain man. The question is, who is that man? Now, many times it will talk in the scriptures about those who appear as men, but they're really angels. But sometimes those who appear as angels are really the angel of the Lord, which oftentimes people understand to be a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus. So some people think the vision of the man dressed in linen, who had the belt of pure gold, whose body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet were like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his voice and his words was like the sound of a tumult. They think that was Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Might have been, might not have been, but one way or the other it was communicating something about Christ. It was meant to be a communication of the reality of who is ultimately in charge. It was meant to be an awe-inspiring vision of God, even if it was through the mediation of an angel. Just like it talks about the burning bush in one place, and then later on it talked about the angel in the burning bush. It was a revelation of God, but it included the function of an angel to reveal something about God. And so that appears to be what is going on here. And so it says, Daniel saw the vision and there was no strength in him. And if you read the chapter, he says it over and over that there's no strength in me. There's no strength in me in light of what I've seen. And it says that he fell into a deep sleep on his face, which means it sounds like he fainted and face planted at that point in light of the vision. I've thought about that in terms of some some people will talk about having visions of Jesus and having visions of God and those kinds of things while they're shaving and they just keep shaving and they just talk to Jesus while they're shaving. I don't believe they've seen Jesus. Because I think when you see the manifestation of the glory of God, you see an angel, you see Jesus, you're going to face plant. You're going to be impacted. You're not going to continue doing what you're doing. It just doesn't work that way. So if you hear somebody talking like that, uh, yeah, I think you can assume that something else is going on. They haven't received a vision of Jesus. Because people in the scriptures, when they see God in that way or see a manifestation of God through an angel in that way, uh, it changes things. Um, it makes a great, great impact on their lives. And so, as I thought about this this week, and Dan, uh, Dan highlighted this in light of our prayer time, one of the things that keeps us from praying is that um, we think that God is not listening and responding. It, would, it was three weeks, so to speak, you know, prayed for three weeks. If we prayed for three weeks and nothing happened, we think God probably wasn't listening, probably didn't care wasn't responding. And so it could have been easy for Daniel to think something along the same lines because Daniel was like us. Um, He was a godly man. It doesn't mean he didn't have the same temptations we do, the same struggles we do. And so it might have crossed his mind. Maybe maybe God isn't listening because he hasn't responded. And we can think that maybe our prayers are just hitting the ceiling. They're not going any further than that. And You know, the reality is I can sneak up behind Jan while she's talking to herself, so to speak, and she may think nobody's listening, but I'm listening even if she doesn't know that I'm listening. And it's the same way when we pray. We think nobody's listening, but uh, you you never know. Your grandson in the next room might be listening, and God is certainly uh, listening. It says in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. And so the angel comes to Daniel, and I think he says later on, from the very point that you began praying, I was sent. Meaning 
The answer came right away, but you're just now seeing and hearing the answer to your prayer. God heard and responded immediately, but you're just now seeing some fruit of the answer to your prayer. And so in terms of how God answers and when we see the fruit of that answer and actually know that he's answered, um, it will be according to his timing and wisdom and he's never late. Never late. So the fact that um, Daniel didn't see until more than three weeks later the answer to the prayer that he prayed on the very first day doesn't mean that God wasn't already at work to answer his prayer and to bring him an answer to his prayer. I think that's why we have parables like what we find in Luke 18. You're probably familiar with the parable about the judge and the widow. You've got the judge and the widow where the widow goes to the judge and says, please give me legal protection. And she keeps going back and forth to him because he keeps saying no, no, no. And at one point he finally says, I don't fear God, I don't fear man. I don't fear this woman who keeps coming to me, but she's going to wear me out if I don't give her what she wants. And so he says, okay, I'll give you legal protection, not because I fear God or you or anybody else, but just so you'll leave me alone. And Jesus says this. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? To delay long there means, will he delay more than necessary? And the answer is, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly or speedily. What does quickly mean? Does it mean you pray and boom, you see the answer? No, the word there could also mean something like right on time. He'll bring exactly what you need when you need it. He will not delay. He will not be late in his response to your prayer. And that's why Jesus at the beginning, before he tells this parable, he says, now he was telling them a parable to show that that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Lose heart in what way? He's not listening. He's not responding. He's not doing anything. This is a waste of time. Why pray? Why pray? And so the first encouragement we have through this story, this true story, is that even when we think um, nothing's happening, things are happening in answer to our prayer. And at some point we will see the fruit of that. For some prayers we pray, we will not see the fruit of it until after we get to heaven. There are people that uh, George Mueller prayed for, prayed for their salvation, who did not get saved until after he was dead. So we may not see the fruit of our prayers all the time in this life, but there's no doubt that God is at work in response to the prayers of his people. And so he encourages us to pray in light of that. The second uh, thing is to keep in mind that in the next verses, 10 through 14, uh, what happens is the angel comes to him and tells him why there was a delay why he didn't get an immediate vision from the angel. Uh, But there were things going on behind the scenes that he didn't know about. Uh, One of the uh, stories that uh, John Bunyan tells in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress, is about Christian in the interpreter's house. And you may remember uh, one of the uh, things that happens in the interpreter's house is that the interpreter shows Christian... Uh, a fire that's up against a wall. This fire is burning, and there is someone there throwing water on the fire. But it doesn't go out. And so the interpreter says, let me show you what's behind the wall. And he takes Christian behind the wall, and there's someone else back there pumping oil on the fire. And so Christian says, what is this all about? And this is... The response was that um, this is all about the work of grace in people's lives. The devil is one throwing water on the fire. 
And he does that all kinds of ways. He does it through temptation to sin. He does it through trials and all kinds of things. He's constantly trying to throw water on the fire of our trust in God, our love for God. That's the last thing he wants is for us to trust God and love God. He's continually seeking to put that fire out. But secretly behind the scenes in ways that we cannot understand, uh, in ways that are beyond uh, our comprehension, Christ himself is pumping oil on the fire, the oil of the Holy Spirit. Oil in the scripture is oftentimes a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so interpreter says, this is Christ, talking about the person behind the wall, behind the scenes. This is Christ who continually with the oil of his grace maintains the work already begun in the heart. By this means, notwithstanding what the devil attempts to do, the souls of his people still prove to be gracious. And in that you saw that the man stood behind the wall to maintain the fire. This is to teach you that it is hard for those who are tempted to understand how this work of grace is upheld in the soul. So he's saying it's hard to understand the work of God in the lives of his people. That goes for how God sustains us through difficult times, and it goes for how God responds to our prayers and answers our prayers. Uh, For three weeks and more, Daniel was in the dark about whether or not God was doing anything in answer to his prayer. And the angel comes and says, let me tell you what is going on. And it says that in verse um, 17, he says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. You prayed, I've come in response to your prayer. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. So the whole time he was praying and fasting, this angel was being opposed by evidently another angel, not a good angel, what we would call a demon. The prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, another angel, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now, people look at all this and some people say, those are just references to human people, that the angel was somehow uh, trying to deal with what the kings of Persia were doing in opposition to the Israelites and how they were opposing what was going on in Israel. Well, that was certainly what was happening. There was no doubt that what was happening in the spiritual realm was impacting what was happening in the physical realm. But it appears that the references to the king of Persia or the king of Greece is a reference to demonic forces, that there's a spiritual realm where there are secret things happening that are actually affecting what happens on earth and can even affect when we experience answers to our prayers or at least um, evidence of our prayers being answered. Now, does that mean that God is not sovereign? No. I mean, just like he allows sinners to do what they do, he can allow demons to do what they do. Just like he can allow uh, pagan nations and pagan governments to oppress his people, he can also allow things in the spiritual realm to take place to orchestrate it for his own good purposes. And so it appears that there's just a little glimpse behind the scenes of what actually is happening, that there's more going on than we can fully comprehend. And so one of the things that we can think about when we ask the question, what keeps us from praying, um, relates to what was shared, I think, during the uh, sharing time, is that we think what happens that we can see is really more important than what happens behind the scenes. Prayer affects not only what happens in front of us and what we see, but it happens, it impacts things uh, beyond what we can see. And maybe we're so focused on what I can do that I'm not praying for what God can do and what he will do behind the scenes. 
Another application is just to think about the fact that the Bible tells us to pray for people in authority. Remember in 1 Timothy 2, it says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. We pray for our governmental leaders. And obviously we're praying that they would be saved, if you go on and read the rest of the passage there. But we're also praying that they would be moved to do what is right and wise and good, and that the things that are evil and foolish would be thwarted, which evidently has an impact on what goes on behind the scenes. Because there are spiritual forces that impact governments. They impact those in authority. And the Bible talks about principalities and authorities in the spiritual realm that impact princes and authorities in the physical realm as well. Well, the basic thing that we just want to be reminded of is that when God answers our prayers, it will be in light of what you don't see as well as what you do see. There's an interesting story in 2 Samuel chapter 5 where the Philistines and David and the Israelites are in conflict. And God tells uh, David this. He says, you shall not go up directly. He's talking about how to attack the Philistines. Uh, circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees then you shall act promptly. For then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. So what does God tell David? You get your army together and you go around behind the Philistines, but don't enter into battle until you hear marching in the tops of the trees. People, men don't march in the top of trees. He was highlighting the fact that there was more going on than just them going into battle physically. There was a spiritual dynamic. The forces of God, angels, were at work in that situation. And God was saying, I want you to know that I'm with you. And that means all my forces, unseen forces, are with you as well. Uh, You might uh, remember the story of Elisha, where Elisha is telling the king, of Israel, what the king of Aram is doing, because they're also in a war. And the king of Aram sends a big army to basically kidnap Elisha. And Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning and he sees all these soldiers and chariots encircling the city where Elisha is, getting ready to capture him. And the servant of Elisha is very afraid. And what does Elisha say? He says this, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Those were spiritual forces. Uh, It wasn't the Israelite army coming to rescue him. It was the, God is the Lord of hosts. That's actually a military reference. To be the Lord of hosts means to be the Lord of armies. And the army of God was encircling Elisha and was going to protect him and take care of him. And so there's a very real spiritual battle going on. And that's why prayer is important because prayer impacts that spiritual realm. That's why Paul could say in Ephesians chapter 6, As you recall, um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, which is the truth of God. And then he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And so it's an encouragement that we realize that uh, when we pray... 
things happen in the spiritual realm, whether we see it in the physical realm or not. God is responding to the prayers of his people. The next section of Daniel is our verses 19, excuse me, 15 through 17. And what this highlights, I think, is just the overwhelming nature of reality because God, in response to Daniel's prayers, first of all, gives him a vision as a vision of God in some sense, whether it's an angel or the pre-incarnate Christ. It was a vision of God. And that's what he needed to see is the glory of God in that situation. That's really what we always need to see. We need to see the goodness and glory of God in every situation and realize and to think about the fact that what was that vision for Daniel? It was something that overwhelmed him. He kept saying, I don't have any strength. I'm like a wet noodle here. I just can't do anything. It's just, I'm just overwhelmed with the reality of reality of what is really true. And that's what Daniel needed to see, was what is really true. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that um, we live in a society of uh, possible gods and goddesses. And what he means by that is that everyone has been created to live forever. That every person is going to live forever. But not every person is going to live the same way forever. It fully depends on whether or not we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior by God's gracious work in our hearts. And he says we have a temptation to just treat people as if they're not really what they are. They're not really someone made in the image of God who's going to live forever and is going to be something stupendous one way or the other. Either stupendously horrible or stupendously glorious. And this is what he says. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, and civilizations, these are mortal, and their life to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And the point he's getting at is reality is more awesome than you can imagine. Reality is more overwhelming than you can imagine. He says earlier, um, it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. um, It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. He says, in light of these overwhelming possibilities, he's saying if you really see the truth about every single person you've ever encountered, if you really see the truth about God and the future that lies ahead, it will be overwhelming to you. And that's just the reality of of it all. And so when we, we pray something like, just like we sang earlier, open my eyes, Lord, need to realize that maybe the first thing that will happen to us is that we'll be overwhelmed. We might be really overwhelmed with the reality of heaven and the reality of hell and the reality of Christ and the reality of all that the Bible says, that it is truly overwhelming what is real because we live on such a low level in terms of being connected to reality. We go about our business as if those things do not really exist. And part of it is, um, if we saw some things, we'd be like David, uh, Daniel. We'd be flat on our face. We'd be overwhelmed. We couldn't handle it. But there's another sense in which there are things we need to see in order to trust God like we need to and love God as and others as he calls us to. And so... One of the things that I just want to make by way of application is when we think about why don't we pray, it's because we think we, we really can handle life as if what we see is all that is really involved in life. I had a friend at one point who um, got into some charismatic circles where they saw a demon under every rock. 
And he'd look at a guy smoking and say, you see the demons all over that cigarette right there? And so everywhere he looked, there were demons, so to speak. Well, there are ditches on either side, on either side of any truth, but the reality is, do we realize that there's more going on than is really going on? Because if we really saw the reality of Satan and demons and spiritual forces working in our government and working in our lives, as well as God and Christ, uh, we might be more inclined to pray. We might be more inclined to think, maybe, maybe I'm not up to facing this on my own if all those things are really true. Maybe I really need some help if those things are really real. Um, we wouldn't be like the guy on a stretcher who's being carried around who doesn't know he's on a stretcher and occasionally throws up you know, a request for a glass of water or something. Doesn't realize that the only reason that he's still in existence is he's being carried along. And that's the way we are too. But I think part of what God was doing in giving Daniel this vision was to say, you need to see the reality of Christ. You need to see the reality of the forces that are in conflict and at work. And let that move you to continue trusting and loving and praying as well. Um, The reality is we don't have the resources we need to face life as it is and as it will one day be. It's interesting in uh, Luke uh, 21, the Lord Jesus is talking about the end times. And what he says is, he says, there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the uh, roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So the Lord Jesus is talking about times in which people will be overwhelmed with what is happening, that they'll be like Daniel, fainting out of fear of what they see. And what the Lord Jesus says is, he says at the end of that discussion, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The implication is you do not have the strength to face what you're going to face. Whatever it is, you do not have the strength in yourself to face what you're going to face. Pray for the strength to face what you have to face. And so prayer is humbly saying, God, I I can't handle this. We we often hear people say, and when I grew up, people would say it all the time, God won't give give you any more than you can handle. It's not biblically true. Uh, I can't handle one day without God. He will not give us anything that we can't handle apart from him with his grace. He makes a way of escape. He provides what we need. He is more than sufficient for what we need. But apart from him, we can't handle anything. We would fall apart at the slightest little disappointment. And so the scriptures encourage us to pray because we aren't adequate in ourselves, but he is adequate. It's interesting to me that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is facing hell on the cross. And uh, he's overwhelmed for the truth of that as a man, as any man would be, even the perfect man. And it says... An angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Just like the angel appeared to Daniel, strengthening him. And in the context of that, the Lord Jesus tells his disciples, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We have to be careful of being asleep, just sleepwalking through life in light of realities. And we need to pray for the grace we need, for whatever it is that might lie ahead. When God answers our prayers, it will be to strengthen us in the sense of to strengthen our perception of reality. The reality about him, the reality about salvation in Christ, the reality about what he's promised us, the reality about what is to come. And that's why it says in Psalm 119, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. 
And in Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling or the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Which means we need to pray that, but we also need to understand that when we pray for things, that's what God is after. Regardless of what we're asking for, the Holy Spirit is praying that kind of prayer for us. When we're praying, God, take away my sickness, the Spirit may be praying that too, but I definitely know he's praying in the midst of this sickness, open their eyes to the hope of his calling. Open their eyes to the glory of his inheritance. Open their eyes to the greatness of his power. That's what the Spirit is praying for you. Whether or not he's praying the same thing you're asking for or not, he's praying along those lines. He's praying that we would see the reality of the great salvation and the great God that we have in Christ. Well, the last section, uh, verses 18 through 21, is a huge uh, comfort. It's meant to be a huge comfort because I think this is ultimately what God is doing when he's answering our prayers. Um, You may remember this story or not, but D.L. Moody... um, early on, I think, in his ministry, was praying for the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting what God did in answer to his prayer for the Holy Spirit. He's praying, God, give me more of the Holy Spirit's power for my life and my ministry. And he says, uh, one day in the city of New York, something happened to him that he um, couldn't even talk about easily, rarely even spoke of it. But this is the way he characterized what happened. He said, I can only say that God revealed himself to me. Revealed himself to me. Now notice how he revealed himself. He said, I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. He asked for the Holy Spirit. He says, God revealed himself to me. I had the experience of his love. Which means of all the kinds of experiences that we might have and all the kinds of ways in which we might be strengthened and impacted by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. His love stands at the very head of it all. Why would that be? Because there's nothing more important than knowing that you're loved by God. It truly is most important because if you're going to go through a hard time, you need to know that the one who's ordered that time for you loves you. He doesn't hate you. He's not out to kill you like the Israelites thought in the wilderness. That he truly loves you and that he has a plan and he's working that plan out for you perfectly because he loves you perfectly. Um, It says uh, twice in this chapter and he repeats it the second time in verse 18 when the angel touches uh, Daniel, touched by an angel, if you ever watched that program. It says in verse 19, he said, O man of high esteem. That's how it's translated um, in the New American Standard. But if you have the ESV, it's translated differently. It says, um, greatly loved. O man who is greatly loved. Daniel gets that message twice. He says, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. O man greatly loved by God, don't be afraid. Be courageous. Be at peace. There are some really disturbing things about reality. When you think about the picture that we have, um, of Jesus in this chapter. You can relate it to the picture that we have in the book of Revelation, where he also has eyes of flaming fire, and this is in the context of judgment. Why did those men that were with Daniel feel a sense of dread and run away? Because they sensed the judgment of God. It says in Hebrews, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The judgment of a holy God on a sinner is a terrifying thing. So what gives us peace in the face of a holy God? 
to know that we're forgiven and we're loved. That's what we need to know. That is what we need to know. We desperately need to know that. And it says that when Daniel received this message, he said, may my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. It says, now as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength. He told me that God loved me, that I didn't need to be afraid, that I could be at peace, that I could be courageous in the face of great conflict. I was strengthened, he said. The vision of Jesus in and of itself and the vision of what the implications of reality are are overwhelming. But when I hear the word, God loves you, you are greatly loved. I have peace. I have courage. I'm okay. That's what this chapter is meant to encourage us with. So what keeps us from praying? Uh, We're not so sure that God really cares, that he really loves us. If you knew someone who owned great wealth and he loved you, would you hesitate to maintain contact with them? Probably not. Sometimes we doubt that um, we really need to pray because God has a plan. He's going to work it out whether I pray or not. And yet God says you have not because you ask not. What might be one thing we don't have? An assurance of his love for us. Uh, we may be overwhelmed with life and we're not praying about being overwhelmed with life and we're not receiving from God the assurance of his love for us that he promises us. Uh, We have not because we ask not. Doesn't it say in Luke chapter 11 that God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children and won't he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What does that mean? Well, I think it means if you recall what it says in Ephesians, if you you remember what it says in Ephesians, Paul says that he was praying for uh, the believers in um, Ephesus and he prays that they would be strengthened with with power through his Holy Spirit and that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith and that they would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now put all that together. They would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. So their faith, their faith in Christ would be strengthened, which meant their knowledge of God's love would be strengthened. He was praying that we would know the love of God. And so our Father has a plan. That's why he says, pray, thy kingdom come. That's the plan. That's what God is working toward. And we're to pray, thy kingdom come. But he also says, ask for the Holy Spirit, not simply to enable you to trust and do what you need to do, although that's part of it, an important part of it, but that you might have peace and courage and joy in knowing that I am loving you perfectly. Was it saying in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Several times in Daniel chapter 10, the angel says, do not be afraid, Daniel. You are greatly loved. Do not be afraid. The fact is that without that word, life is overwhelming, especially when we realize what is truly going on. Let me just conclude by this. There's a Psalm, Psalm 143, verses 7 and 8, which says this, Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit, Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. So what is the psalmist saying there? He does want God to teach him how to live and how to walk and enable him to do what he should do. But he says, answer me quickly, O Lord, because my spirit is failing. I'm overwhelmed with life and what's going on. And he says, let me hear what? Let me hear your loving kindness. Let me hear that you love me. Let me hear that you love me so that I can know that you're with me. And I can know that 
your loving kindness will pursue me and chase me and run me down every day of my life, like it says in Psalm 23. Our prayer life is important for all kinds of reasons. We're to be motivated by the fact that God loves us. We're to be motivated by the fact that we need to know that God loves us. We're to be motivated by the fact that we cannot handle life. We're to be motivated by the fact that God can enable us to handle life. And it's all to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you'd help us to to see ourselves in light of your word. We pray, Father, that you would grant us encouragement to pray. Help us not to be so focused on how long we pray and those kinds of things, but help us to be focused on things like how often we pray and, and how fervently we pray for what we need. I pray, Father, that you would grant us a greater grace to pray, that you grant us greater grace, the greater grace of supplication, that we would actually find ourselves praying more often, praying more fervently, and that you would indeed hear our prayers as you've promised to hear and do great and wonderful things in our hearts and in our lives and through our lives for others as well. Help us to believe. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief with regard to prayer. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never prayed the the most important prayer in a sense, which is the prayer that's reflected in Romans chapter 10, where it says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For those who've never called upon you, Lord Jesus, confessing their sins, believing that you are Lord and Savior, and have ever entrusted themselves to you as an able and willing Savior, as a perfectly loving Lord, I pray that you grant them grace to do that this very day. Father, please prepare us for the Lord's Supper as we gather together as your people, as those who have trusted you. Help us to celebrate you in this supper. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.